Hello and welcome to Words of Wisdom, a podcast dedicated to reflecting on the wisdom of the Book of Proverbs. Your host is Dr. Jerry Weirwool, who will share life-giving truth from Proverbs that will help us become wise and discerning. Wisdom is a journey, and we hope you will join us for this exciting adventure. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every person's road is right in his own eyes, but Yahweh examines the hearts. We can notice the structure of the parallelism in this proverb that it's antithetic. People view things in a certain way and hold convictions about them, but Yahweh examines them. There's a contrast being made here to point out an intrinsic difference between the way people see things and how Yahweh does. Something is dissimilar between the two. Let's take a closer look at what this proverb is saying. In the first line, the phrase every person's road refers to a person's choices and actions. The Hebrew word translated road is a common word in the book of Proverbs that's used metaphorically to refer to the path that one travels in life. That is, a person's way of life, consisting of their desires, intentions, behaviors. What a person chooses to do in any given circumstance is part of what makes up their road in life. Moreover, a person's road can range from simply everyday choices and behaviors like, will I let someone into the lane in front of me on the highway? Or will I help someone at work to figure out a problem that has nothing to do with my job? Or will I give a person my undivided attention when they're speaking to me? And so on. And it ranges, though, to large-scale, life-changing decisions like what type of an employee will I be at my company? Or what sort of spouse or parent or friend will I be? Or what things do I think are the most important in life? And so on. What the proverb is saying about each person's road is that everyone thinks it is right in their eyes, meaning that the way that they are living is acceptable and justifiable in their eyes. What this means is that when a person examines their life, they normally don't conclude, well, gosh, I'm just doing it all wrong. We all make the choices we do because we honestly think they are the right choices to make given the circumstances that we are in. But the question we must ask is, what makes us think that our way of doing things is right? If our criteria are simply our own estimation and thought processes, then why wouldn't we agree with our way of doing things? We are doing them that way because in our view, that was the way we thought we should do them. And therefore, we decided to act accordingly. And so the basis for the way we live then is nothing more than living consistently with ourself. And what's wrong with that, we must ask? Well, the answer is we are. We are the problem. Our perspective on life is merely from a human point of view. And that's not all that reliable. I mean, let's face it. We tend to have reasons for everything we decide to do. But who's to say that they're actually any good or even valid at that? If we are the arbiters for what is true and right, then we are our own sovereigns and we answer to no one. But that way of thinking is problematic on several levels. One thing that the proverb is getting at is our tendency as humans towards self-deception. Everything we do in life can look right in our own eyes because we have a knack for figuring out how to justify in our minds what we want to do or have happen. 
and we intrinsically don't want to do what is wrong, and therefore we come up with reasons for why what we want is actually right. So we feel good about the choices that we make in life. Therefore, we can't be our own sovereigns because we would always keep bending or changing the rules in order to accommodate our latest desires, motives, or ways of thinking. I want to probe this issue of self-deception a little more because I believe it really does lie behind the heart of what the proverb is talking about. Let's do a brief thought experiment. Think about how young kids behave and how we behaved when we were young. Even when very young, say by the time of adolescence, kids have become experts in self-deception. If you witness a child hitting another child and you then ask them, why are you hitting so-and-so? You might receive the common answer, they started it. They hit me first. And if you look into the eyes of the child, you will probably be able to tell that they are completely persuaded that this reason legitimates their retaliation. They believe they are allowed to act violently toward the other child because they have acted that way toward them. While we could argue that the child is seeking justice by retaliating, the question we must be asking ourselves is whether or not it's right for a person to use what they experience as a reason for then acting in certain ways toward others. Certainly, we would all agree that a person is not afforded the right to act towards someone else in a reciprocal fashion simply on the basis of the way that they have been treated. If that were the case, then there would be all kinds of violent, vicious, and vindictive behaviors that we would deem appropriate. But none of us would honestly agree to that. I remember this one time when I was young, perhaps I was around 8 to 10 years old, and my brother and I had just gotten off the school bus at the end of our lane. Our parents had a pretty long driveway from the road to the house, and as we were walking along, we got into a heated argument, and my older brother called me a really, really bad name. I'm not going to repeat it here, but believe me, this name is at the top of the name-calling charts. I remember feeling so hurt, angry, and upset, and minutes later, I had rationalized in my mind that it was appropriate, almost necessary, that I go into my brother's room and steal some money from his piggy bank. I felt that my brother deserved the punishment and that I was entitled to get something out of it. And so, later that night, I proceeded to help myself to a few extra dollars from my brother's piggy bank. If you would have caught me that night in the act of stealing from my brother and asked me if I thought that what I was doing was wrong, I can guarantee you that I would have told you with a straight face and with all sincerity, no, I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. Of course, by that age, I, I knew what stealing was, and I knew that stealing was wrong because my parents had drilled it into us that we were not to take anything from someone else that did not belong to us. But I would not have agreed that what I was doing was stealing. I was simply responding to my brother's behavior in an appropriate, retributive way, and in my mind at the time, there was absolutely nothing wrong in my eyes with, with what I was doing. I think perhaps that most people never outgrow that way of thinking. I mean, let's face it, we all struggle at times with how to respond when someone hurts us. In our corrupted, sinful flesh, our initial impulse is usually always a desire to get back at them by hurting them in some way. 
but taking matters into our own hands in this way is never the right thing to do. Why? Because when we feel that we've been wronged by someone else, our reasoning faculties get hijacked and our ability to make sound decisions is compromised. And therefore, we usually end up committing a sin in response to what the other person has done to us. Instead, it takes great wisdom, strength, and self-control to respond in the right way when someone has wronged us. Well, going back to the proverb, the second half of the proverb says, but Yahweh examines the hearts. The Hebrew word translated examines means to weigh, but not in the sense of trying to determine how heavy something is, like when you weigh yourself on the bathroom scale, but instead it's being used here in the metaphorical sense of to evaluate or judge something. It means to weigh something in your mind and thereby determine its meaning, significance, or truthfulness. The proverb says that Yahweh examines the hearts. The word heart does not refer to the internal organ of a person that pumps their blood, but rather it is a metonymy that refers to a person's thoughts and motives. A person's heart involves their way of thinking and reasons for doing, well, pretty much anything. So what the proverb is saying is that Yahweh weighs, meaning examines or evaluates what goes through a person's mind to form their motives and reasons for their behavior. But how does Yahweh weigh someone's heart? Yahweh's evaluation of a person's heart stems from his omniscience, meaning that he's all-knowing. As the creator, Yahweh God knows everything entirely and all at once. There is nothing that Yahweh does not know. His knowledge and understanding are perfect. And so he knows the depths of our hearts better than we ever can, better than we ever could. And therefore, his assessment of what resides in our hearts behind our choices and actions is exhaustive and accurate. Thus, Yahweh knows a person's conscious and subconscious thoughts. The depth of God's ability to see into our heart is expressed well in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 11, which says, Sheol and Abaddon are in the sight of Yahweh. How much more are human hearts? Both words Sheol and Abaddon are transliterated from the Hebrew, and they refer to the grave, the realm of the deceased, and the place where those who've been destroyed reside. The line of reasoning presented in the proverb is that if God can see into the deep recesses of the grave, that is, the realm of the dead, then surely he can see every person in the realm of the living and everything contained in their hearts. And that's the difference. People are complicated, and we have trouble understanding even who we are, much less the answers behind every choice or action we make in life. But those answers are not hidden from Yahweh. We might think our road is right according to our view, and most of the time I bet we believe that we can justify our actions. But we're not the ones who determine the standard of what is right and wrong. Yahweh God does. And so accordingly, we can understand the proverb as a warning about our tendency to falsely claim to have integrity, when in fact, Yahweh sees into the depths of our heart and can discern our true motives and reasons. We may be able to convince ourselves that our decisions are the best in any particular circumstance, but Yahweh can always identify the hypocrisy of self-deception, because only a fool thinks himself to be his own judge. 
only Yahweh can accurately perceive what the human heart thinks and feels. The antithesis between the two lines in the proverb is that while a person can convince themselves that the action that they've chosen is indeed the right one, Yahweh searches their heart to examine whether that is so. In their heart, a person can know that the way that they have chosen is not truly the honest and righteous choice to make. But in his mind, he invents reasons and a string of rationale to convince his conscience that it must be true. Nonetheless, the truth in his heart cannot be covered up and blocked from the eyes of Yahweh. Yahweh sees our hypocrisy and knows that we are not truthful about what is in our heart. We think we are right, but we are experts at bending the truth in order to match our will and desires. But that cannot be hidden from Yahweh. He sees our heart as clear as the noonday sun. In order to illustrate this proverb, I want to tell you about an incident that happened to Jim Marshall. Marshall played college football at Ohio State University. And then in 1960, he went on to play in the NFL for the Cleveland Browns for one season before being traded to the Minnesota Vikings, where he would play as their defensive end from 1961 to 1979 for a grand total of 20 seasons and 282 consecutive games that earned him the record of the highest number of consecutive games played in the NFL at that time. Furthermore, as part of the Vikings' defensive line, Marshall achieved 130 quarterback sacks and recovered 30 fumbles during his career, also setting an NFL record for his defensive performance. During one game on October 25th in 1964, Marshall and the Vikings were playing the San Francisco 49ers in California. Going into the final period of the game, the 49ers were leading 17-13. to 13. After intercepting a pass, the Vikings were able to work the ball down the field and score a touchdown. But then, only moments later, after the kickoff, the Vikings recovered a fumble and it ran it back 45 yards to score another touchdown, back-to-back. -to -back. After the next kickoff, the 49ers were putting pressure back on the Vikings. At one point in the possession, the 49er quarterback calls for the snap and then finds an open receiver, Billy Kilmer, who catches the pass and starts to run, but only to get caught almost immediately by two Viking defenders who wrap him up and take him down. But as Kilmer was on his way down in the tackle, the ball comes loose and pops out onto the field next to him. It's another fumble. And wouldn't you know... Jim Marshall is right there to recover it for the turnover to the Vikings. But rather than diving on the ball to secure Viking possession, Marshall picks up the ball and begins running toward the end zone. He has a big lead, and he's at the 25, he's at the 15, the 5, and he scores! And in a celebratory fashion, he tosses the ball out of bounds and turns around expecting to be triumphantly greeted by his teammates. But to his shock, there were no teammates awaiting him. A few of them were jogging toward him, pointing in the opposite direction. Jim Marshall had just run 66 yards to return the fumble to the Vikings' very own end zone, causing the 49ers to be awarded a two-point safety on the play, and the Vikings were going to have to also turn the ball back over and kick off to the 49ers from their own 20-yard line. Moments after turning around and realizing what he had just did, 
Marshall looked up and down the field and then put his hands on his hips as though he was saying, well, shoot. In an interview about the incident in 2015 with the St. Paul Pioneer Press, Marshall said, it was tough when it happened. I took my football career very seriously. And to make a mistake, of course, it's something you don't want on your resume, but mistakes happen. Further commenting on the incident in another interview about what happened, Marshall explained that seeing the ball loose, he said, and seeing the goalposts kind of triggered, pick it up and run. And that's exactly what I did without really getting my bearings. What Marshall's example demonstrates is that we can think that we are doing what's right and that we are heading in the right direction based on our own perspective. Sometimes that direction might be the correct one. But in the moment, we usually always think it is. However, if we would step back and get a broader perspective, we might see better and understand more about our circumstances that will lead to us making the right decision. But let's be honest, it's a challenging habit to develop. And sometimes we are not really inclined to really seek to achieve it. Nevertheless, while we might think our behaviors and actions are right, Yahweh is the one who understands the true thoughts and motives of our heart. And he can discern if we're endeavoring to live righteously according to his will, or if we're following our own selfish will and desires. Our judgment can be the right one in any given situation if it aligns with Yahweh. We might think our road to be right, but Yahweh examines our hearts. This is the wisdom of the proverb. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Words of Wisdom podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be so appreciative if you would share this podcast with your friends. And if you have been blessed by this work, please consider supporting the podcast by clicking on the donation link in the description.